The Kids present Diagnosis Multiverse. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we are going to take you on a very long journey with the first ever team of superheroes. Yes, folks, the Justice Society of America. And joining me for this discussion here on Diagnosis Multiverse would be none other than Doc. Doc, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you, Angus? Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. And completely excited here to have this discussion with you. You coming fresh off of your Justice Society of America journey, basically reading the entire run of comics as it relates to the Justice Society of America. Yes, there was very few, there was a few runs that DC app, I read these all on the DC app, and there was a few that they didn't have, but it was actually, it wasn't as many as I thought it would be. So I got a really good, especially from the very beginnings to basically what was the last series I read? It was like 2013. So I got a really good overview of it. Keep my eyes out so I can fill in the holes once they get released. Outstanding. Outstanding. And for the benefit of our listeners, Doc, I just would like to give a brief summary of what in the world is this Justice Society of America. I had alluded before that it was the the first team of superheroes in comic books, but the JSA, or Just Society of America, was created by none other than Gardner Fox, along with editor Sheldon Mayer. And Fox was so instrumental in creating this first team of superheroes that he actually created half of the membership of the JSA. Gardner Fox is credited with the creation of Dr. Fate, Sandman, Flash, and Hawkman. So that's half, four of the eight of the original JSA characters. The first appearance of the JSA, or Justice Society of America, happened in winter of 1940 into 41, again making it the first team of superheroes, and had quite the run. Last issue, number 57, which was published in March of 1951. Now, superheroes started to come out of being in vogue in the 50s, and really, there was no JSA activity for the remainder of the 50s. However, in the 60s, there would be two significant events that happened. You would have the birth of the Silver Age and, of course, you know, the Marvel Age of comics really spurring DC to, whoa, let's get this thing in gear, and the rebirth of superheroes happening. Well, DC decided, okay, you know what? We're not going to retread JSA here, Justice Society of America, but we're going to come up with the Justice League of America. And they worked some of those legacy characters in with some new characters. However, with the advent of Flash number 123, Flash of Two Worlds, you had the establishment of the multiverse, which Doc, you and I have chronicled in a previous episode. And they decided to have the Justice Society of America establish itself on Earth 2 within the Justice League of America on Earth 1. This subsequently allowed for an annual cross-dimensional team-ups to occur between 1963 to 1985, and of course 1985 being the seminal year of Crisis on Infinite Earths, where all of a sudden everything got protracted into one massive Earth, and the Justice Society of America was wedged into the World War II era for these superheroes, essentially making them the predecessors to what would be then the modern superheroes. Now, JSA would make a comeback. From 1999 to 2006, it had a series and titled JSA. Then Justice Society of America launches and runs from 2007 to 2011. Then you see the Justice Society of America come back in Earth 2 Volume 1 from 2012 to 2015. Then in Earth 2 World's End from 
2014 through 2015, and then finally Earth 2 Society from 2015 to 2017. So really, Doc, reaching back from 1940 to basically present day, that's quite the stretch for the JSA with some gaps here and there. It is, and it is, and it's really interesting to see how in some ways it hasn't changed, and in other ways it changed a lot. Obviously, it changes with the times and the writers, which is really, that's, that was probably the most fun I had with it, is that all the writers that were involved with it, they really kept the spirit of the JSA team the same while kind of updating it. As we, you know, um, past like the, the origins of it and begin to like Jeff Johns' run and post Jeff Johns, it's, it's interesting to see that we, we have like a core team of like Wildcat, Dr. Midnight, Jay Garrick, and what was it, two, uh, two other ones or one other. And we, we see how they are, Green Lantern, of course, Alan Scott, and we see how they get a little bit updated, but they are, they are the same ones from way back of all-star comics and it's really cool how we how we see that evolve so doc what i'd like to do is just backtrack a little bit and and that's a great primer for for folks but first i just want to get the basic questions out of the way and that being how did you go about your read did you take it in sequential order and when you did delve into those different runs did you find the authors retreading back to the roots of these characters and reimagining any of these origin stories or did they pick it up in modern times or was it a combination of those things maybe if you could categorize the runs as as you describe them and once you first tell us how you went about your read the short answer is yes as far as the writers how they kind of go back and they pay homage to like the original characters while some characters don't even get that much of an update which is which we'll get into in a little bit and then other ones they get total reboots and we get some addition ones on there and everything but the way i did it i basically went in the sequential order i started with all-star comics back in 1940s and i read three to 74 and then to keep in mind, I did not read any of the solo, like Hawkman solo, or when Jay Garrick finally got a solo, or when Greenland. So I just read anything that was JSA. So it was interesting because I felt like there was even a couple. There was a couple gaps that go from maybe 1999's JSA series. The next one might pick up in 2003 or four. And there's a couple things that obviously must have happened in individual solo titles. So I kind of played um, catch up a little bit that way, but everything was pretty clear after one or two um, issues, what was going on with some of the updated characters. But then I started that. And then after that, Adventure Comics, went to a couple of those. I think it was only five of those issues where it was kind of relevant with the JSA. And then, of course, the first volume of Justice Society of America, which was 91. And the big one before that was America versus Justice Society, which was, that was a four-issue four limited series, which was in 1985, middle of the 80s. And that was basically made to explain why, what happened to the Justice Society. Where did they go? Why did they disappear? And it was the whole... Am I saying it right? The un ah, the un-American House Committee. What, what I can't remember what the the right term of that one is. Uh, House of un, uh, you know, the con the commie seeking <laughs> House of un-American activities. I and so they are uh, the JSA is accused of being spies for the Nazis, and it shows how basically at the end of the four there was of course something else going on behind the scenes. The big bad guys behind the scenes, but the JSA kind of they disbanded after that because they the committee. They wanted all the JSA members to to show their identities and reveal their identities. And they said, absolutely not. So for mid-80s, that was the explanation of what happened. 
to the JSA. So, Doc, was that basically a limited run? Yes, it was. It was a four-issue limited run. I think there were like maybe 40 pages an issue, something like that. So it was a pretty well-told story. A lot of it takes place in a hearing. It's pretty crazy. (laughs) It's kind of like what people complained about the original or the, um, what was it, the, I guess the Star Wars, the origin, how it was taking place in the Senate floor <laughs> kind of thing. But this, this did, it was the um, JSA was in front of the committee of un-American activities, defending their actions and trying to prove that they weren't traitors during World War II. Interesting issue. For, especially that first issue when you didn't when you thought it was kind of a straightforward just a committee hearing it took a little bit to get into but once you realize that there's something going on behind the scenes it really picks up and becomes a great story so doc you're bringing to light the fact that gap that i described in all of these years really was filled with some limited series that occurred or the JSA forming or being referenced in other titles. So what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is backtrack and get your opinion of the actual incarnation or golden age with the JSA. What was the tone of those books? What was your feel there of that golden age team of superheroes was there much depth was it fairly superficial i mean how did you find the character development and actually how compelling were those reads for the time in which those characters were developed i will be completely honest which i always am when we when we record the all-star comics from the 40s they weren't the most interesting comics for me i'm sure there's some people that love love that golden age the main reason being exactly what you mentioned there wasn't a whole lot of character development in my opinion the issues were long. They were like 80 pages because they were quarterly, if not twice a year. I can't remember if it was, I think when it started, it may have been just twice a year. So they were long issues. And what's really interesting, we're going back to number three in the, ni- in the 1940s of All-Star Comics. You don't really get any kind of team involvement with these comics. Like the very first issue, number three, you see JSA sitting around that the iconic table that has Just Society of America on it. And they talk about, oh, and, and that introduction is each hero just kind of, it's their own story. So like, for example, Alan Scott, he introduces and they, they like, hey, there's ways so we can get, so we can get to know each other to tell us a story about us. You know, let's just relate a story to everybody. And so Green Lantern tells a story about himself. And then Hawkman tells a story about himself. And then the Atom tells a story about himself. And then usually like the last story, they have a little bit of a group involvement, not much of one. And that's kind of how the format went for like the, from issues three to 74, there was, they all had like, for example, in number six, sorry, no, what is that? Looking at my notes real quick. Oh no, it was back in number four. Sorry. Um, They meet the the head of the FBI, J. J. Edgar Hoover has a mission for them. So they all together, they meet the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, and the J. Edgar was like, we have, here's a mission for you guys. And there's like, there's conveniently, there's like six missions. So some of the JSA members, they team up and some of them go solo and they all take a mission. And then we just see Green Lantern mission, the Flash's mission, Adam's mission. And then at the very end, there's always one thing in each individual story that ties them all together. And then at the very last story, they all come together and we might get five, six pages of the JSA kind of working together. So if you're really looking for like the team up, it's a little bit disappointing in that because it's more of like individual stories. And I get what they were doing. They were introducing these characters and they wanted these characters to be popular on their own so they can make their own titles for them. So it works for that because you do get a good feel for the characters. But overall, compared to especially later series, the character development, it wasn't... For me, it really didn't hit it too out of the ballpark for me as far as character development. 
fun stories and it is that golden age it is it's nazis i mean we were we were kind of talking about this before you have some one of the most powerful team-ups with hawkman specter you know all these powerhouses and they're going after nazis and they're going after gangsters (laughs) they're going after these you know these common thugs which really is actually funny and then as we get on to like the 20s in all-star issue 20s and and beyond then we kind of see a little bit more like we get some super villains and things like that but it's a really interesting read it's really fun. So, Doc, it sounds to me that All-Star was essentially serving the same purpose as the later titles of DC Showcase or Marvel Premiere would in order to introduce new characters, have them go through several stories, but in this unique way, with having them all members of this team of superheroes, it was at least something that would bind them back together again to then build off of one another or provide the occasional team up and then develop those interactions between those characters. So now moving out of that golden age, when we start to head into the 60s and the reads there, do we finally start to see some actual full-blown team-up happening or are we still onesing and twosing? In the All-Star, let's see. Well, when we get to like in the 1978, we get into like adventure comics. And like I said, there's about four or five issues that are kind of relevant. All-Star comics, they got canceled, I think, with issue number 74, I believe. And that was, they they called that the result of the DC implosion, which we, I know we've talked about and, and you've mentioned before. And so they basically, they already had all-star comics number 75 all lined up and but that didn't happen so later than in 1978 they said hey we have this issue just sitting here let's do something with it and so they made adventure comics number 461 461 they changed it up a little bit and it's called only legends live forever and it has a two um, parts 461 and 462 issues so you, you kind of see little things like that but basically towards the end of like the all-stars run which I don't have the exact date of when when that actually ended, but it ended with number uh, issue 74, like I mentioned. Kind of stayed the same format, which is interesting because, I mean, it was obvious at this point that, like, Hawkman and, and those individuals, they had their own series. Because you would see in All-Star Comics, Hawkman would have his little adventure, and then at the end of that, it would say, follow or continue or read more about Hawkman in Hawkman number or whatever issue they were on. So it was obvious that some of them had their own titles. So it was interesting that they kept spotlighting them in All-Star instead of trying to do maybe some of the lesser known ones. Like the Adam, the original Adam, who was just the short guy that could punch really hard. Not even superpowers. He was just, he worked out and he trained and then he could, you know, he was just a really good fighter, which is funny. You, you talk about height shaming in JSA. They, they, they are relentless with this poor little Adam guy. <laughs> it was really, it was really funny in a few issues. It was going to be tough for him to get his own title popularity, considering he was going up against people like Hawkman and Spectre and Dr. Fate and everything. So, but it's, it's interesting. Like he was one of those characters as we'll see in later series that he really gets a, he gets a makeover time but his character is revered as well so doc i was reviewing my notes prior to the recording of this episode and i've gone back to them now and and i have noted down here that when the superhero comics slump occurred in the early 50s all-star comics renamed themselves to all western comics in 1951 with issue number 58 so that means after that march 1951 issue of All-Star Comics number 57 happened, then All-Star was no more until the revival of the series in 1976, and they picked 
up the numbering system right where they left off. So they were completely dismissive of All-Star Western and went right back to number 58, All-Star Comics number 58. Starting with issue 66, a hyphen was added to the title and the words All-Star Comics became a much smaller part of the cover while the words Justice Society became much bigger. So it looks like there, with that revival in the 70s, they were starting the brand transition over to say, okay, look, let's try to get JSA rolling. And what is very interesting about this is that there was a youth movement afoot at DC Comics at that time. I mean, Jerry Conway, no less, became editor, an editor at DC Comics at the tender young age of 23. And apparently, and here he is, the master of taking novels and turning them into comics, you had Roy Thomas, of all people, being suggested to Conway that JSA be given its own title. Conway offered Thomas a chance to ghostwrite uh, an issue for the revived All-Star Comics. He declined it, as he was under exclusive contract to Marvel at the time. However, Thomas eventually moved over to DC and was able to work with those characters in 1981. So just a little aside with respect to the JSA and the creatives that were hovering around these characters and how much they were parts of these younger creators' childhoods growing up. I mean, obviously, you had Roy there being having a, a, a natural affinity and, and, and love for those golden age characters and you know interest i'm glad you brought that up because i wanted to mention that and especially with issue number 57 of all-star that's the last golden age appearance of the jsa and also as interesting as wonder woman and batman and superman they became honorary members of jsa earlier on like i'm probably within it started with issue three probably within the first 10 issues i can't remember exactly which one they become honorary and Wonder Woman was the only character of the, from the JSA that, was, that remained in continuous publication through the 1950s. So she wasn't a very popular figure in, in, in the, in the All-Stars. And, you know, it's a product of its time in the 40s and 50s. We know Wonder Woman now to be extremely powerful. She's fierce. If you, if you, have, if you could choose one person to back you up in a fight, you choose Wonder Woman. Because she will not go down without a fight and without taking out a whole lot of bad guys with her. And in the JSA, these early team-ups and All-Stars, she was kind of, she was basically the secretary. You know, she was getting them drinks and she was taking notes of, you know, of their of their minutes and stuff like that. Like I said, it's a time, it's a sign of the times. And I'm so glad that Wonder Woman's become a lot more now. It was kind of interesting. And then in issue 58, really important one, first issue that had Power Girl which easily she became, not from this issue, but as we go along, she became one of my favorite characters in the JSA. And also 58 is the first time that we kind of are specifically told that JSA takes place on Earth 2. So that's obviously after issue 123 of Flash, where we have the multiverse. And also the super, the super squad is introduced, which is like kind of a smaller version. It's Power Girl, Robin, Star Spangled Kid, and that's all part of Earth 2 as well. And they kind of meet up JSA and this super squad. So Doc, just to touch on something that you just mentioned there previously, I don't want to get us too off topic, but I just can't help myself with regard to Wonder Woman. I'm glad you brought this up because if there were two major low points in that series, it was the domestification and just 
absolute uh, horrendous treatment she received in the 50s, essentially declawing her and taking away her badassery, for lack of a better term. And then the other one, and to his credit, he admits that this was the biggest mistake he ever made as a writer in comics. And that's pretty huge for this luminary to admit. And that's Denny O'Neill. When Denny O'Neill took over Wonder Woman and then started publishing Diana Prince Wonder Woman, he took away her superpowers. Now you're thinking, okay, well, wait a second. Uh, you know, this is part of the women's lib movement. What's going on here? Maybe, you know, Denny's going for self-sufficiency. His heart may have been in the right place, but the execution was all wrong. By taking away Wonder Woman's powers and her Amazonian powers, uh, you know, Maristhera and, and mythology and, and her godlike existence and turning her into essentially what was very trendy at the time, a martial artist, but then having her report to a master who happened to be male, who was her mentor, again, not a good picture there, Denny. He said, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back was when he received a personal letter from Gloria Steinem saying, bring back my Wonder Woman that I grew up loving. And Wonder Woman subsequently became a huge symbolic figure within the ERA movement and the women's rights movement of the 70s. So, you know, there's a little aside. Now, you brought a power girl and now the evolution of this JSA group or membership. Maybe, Doc, why don't you touch on some of the newer members that came into the JSA here from the 70s into the 80s and then into the 90s? Who of note were added to this mix that really enhanced or made the JSA something special in your eyes. You know, what's interesting is that like that series I mentioned, that limited four issue, America versus Justice Society, it is just the golden age. It's the same as the All-Stars. We don't see anybody new in there because it's basically picking up from that series. So we don't see many in there. And then after that, um, from 85, then we jumped to Justice Society of America, the 1991 series. And that one was, um, that was an eight issue limited series. And that was, from what I remember, because let me, let me tell you, after reading a couple hundred and not that long, they, they kind of run together a little bit. But I remember this one was, uh, it kind of talked a little bit about the individual members again. We're looking at like kind of the good old ones. First issue of the eight issue mini series, it was just like Flash and Ted Knight who is, of course, Starman. And this is the old school Starman. We just see these two guys. And then it wasn't like the whole JSA team up. It was like we get that first issue was those two. And then I believe the second issue was, that was a Black Canary, who she joined way back in, um, she was part of the, the, towards the end of the All-Stars run. I believe towards 69 somewhere around there number i could be right i could be wrong that actually you know it's in the 30s like their 37 38 issue that's where she kind of joins and again as a woman she just doesn't she's not allowed to join she kind of goes on a probationary period and then she becomes a full-fledged member she actually got you know just going back to what you were saying about with wonder woman and, and the respect she actually got she was shown a lot more respect than wonder woman was shown but um we already talked about that uh and so like so that little 1991, Justice Society of America, Volume 1, the eight issues. So we kind of get like a little, like a story, one book 
about one or two of the old school members. We don't get a whole lot of people, new people introduced in this one. And then I think it's not until we get to the second volume, Justice Society of America, that was a 10 volume or a 10 issue volume. And that one, unfortunately, was not on a DC um, app. So I had to skip over that one. And then we go right into JSA, the Golden Age which I think I mentioned after I read that one, I think I was on Messenger with you saying what an amazing story this was. It was four issues. And I believe this one takes place in, it's an Elseworld. So it's not part of DC, their canon or, you know, their continuity. Um, but wow, what an amazing story this was. Um, it was originally called the, just the Golden Age. And then they change it to JSA, the Golden Age. Um, because it does, it doesn't focus on every Golden Age hero. It's just, it is a focus on the JSA. We see the ultra humanite as the main villain kind of working behind the scenes and they change up some of the characters just a little bit. Again, it's not part of continuity, so we don't have to go too far into that, but highly recommend the golden age. It is a really amazing story. It was probably the biggest surprise and the biggest treasure because I never read that when it was originally out in the 90s. So it was a really nice find that I kind of stumbled on reading through all these. Let me see. The next one would be JSA Returns. And this was a really cool series. This was a series of, I believe it was nine, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yep, nine stories. And it's, uh, it's really cool. It's all, it's JSA Returns. And then like the first issue is All-Star Comics. And then it's, the second issue is Adventure Comics. And then the third is Sensation Comics. So they kind of take these, all the old school names and they're making kind of one cohesive JSA story. And what's really cool is, they totally go back to that, the original 1940s all-star kind of format where each issue is about one or two of the JSA members and then the final one is all of them coming together to fight a common enemy. So it was really clever how they did this. And they're all one-shots, although unfortunately they, you do have to read them in order. So they, it, does, it does make a difference of the continuity. And basically the whole nine-issue series is about an evil god named Stalker who creates seven disciples that he sends out to end all life on earth. And they all, each of the disciples has like a different power. One of them has control over atomic radiation. Another one is like control over ice. And so of course we get different team ups that they take down each individual disciple. And then in that last issue, which was JSA returns, all-star comics. Number two, we get all of the JSA coming together to fight stalker and they finally put him down for good again um, we don't really see any new characters being introduced yet they're still kind of paying homage to that old school jsa the golden age if you did not know that this was written in the 90s which actually was written in i believe 99 so it was almost a thousands you would not even know that this was not a golden age story because it just keeps that i like to call it like that that overwhelming optimism that clear cut that the heroes are the heroes, the bad guys are the bad guys, and there's no shades of gray yet. And so it really, it really captures that really well up until, until, and then we get into probably my favorite run of all of what I've read for JSA. It's JSA Volume 1, which was started in 1999. And this was, of course, when we also get a great team up of uh, David Goyer and um, Jeff Johns, and then eventually Jeff Johns takes over when Goyer kind of steps down. And it is... I mean, it is just one story arc, one amazing story arc after another. It gets better and better. And this is where we really see, I think we just see Jeff Johns, him shine, and Goyer too. Goyer does a fantastic job with these characters. We keep old school characters, and, we, and this is where we get a lot of new characters in as well. So Doc, some of those new characters were like Wildcat, 
correct? Actually, the Wildcat in JSA Volume 1 is the old school Wildcat. Yeah, he is the old one. It's not until, it's not until the well into the 2000s that we get Wildcat Jr., who is the son of the original Wildcat. Yes, Ted Grant's son in the future. And now, yeah, I can't remember how far along that is. That's almost towards the end, end of the, yeah, of the, uh, of JSA that I've read. And um, the, in JSA, we have the 1999 one, the volume one. We have, um, you have Jay Garrick, you have Alan Scott, you have Wildcat. And I want to say, was it Starman? I believe it was Starman that was, that these were the original golden age characters. And, it is pretty cool. I'm looking real quick. Starman, Spawn, the Wildcat. Yep. And, and it's, it's interesting because we don't, it's not very, it's not in your face or anything, but you're kind of like, we all read comics and you all have to suspend disbelief once in a while. But some, you know, when they started this, they didn't really go into it at first, but you're, and you're like saying, okay, how can these, like these new young guys keep up with, you know, how come, how come they're fighting alongside these really young guys? What's going on? And then they basically kind of let you know that, well, with um, with Jay Garrick, the Speed Force has kind of preserved him at his age. He's he is aging. He's just aging very very slowly. Alan Scott, the Starheart, that is basically that he is pure. He's not even human anymore. Basically, he is pure star energy now with his ring and everything, which was I thought a really cool kind of thing. And Ted Knight Wildcat, he is. Some and I, I forget the story. I have it written down somewhere, but there was a story that we didn't see it happen. But somewhere along the lines, he fought somebody, a, a wizard, who cursed him with nine lives, which really isn't a curse. Because ba- and so basically, he has, he has nine lives. And so that's what kept him young. He can die, and then he comes back. So it's it kind of like take more. They kind of embrace the whole cat aspect of his, of his name. And uh, so that's how they kind of explain how he is still around. Because and remember, Wildcat, he has zero superpowers. He is just, he's a really badass fighter. He's a boxer. And he trained a lot of the JSA and beyond, which is really cool. And um, at one point, I know at the, towards the end of the All-Stars, back in the 50s, he quit the JSA because he wanted to open up his own boxing school so he can train the next generation of heroes. It's really cool because that, that becomes a big theme with JSA about training a new generation of heroes. And that becomes a big thing. But I, I really like how they explain it. And then as we get on, we kind of we get a little bit here and there. We never get a full story about Wildcat and his nine lives. Curse, quote unquote. But we do get enough to realize that's what's going on. And that's what's kind of keeping him young and spry. But then with this, we also get some really cool new characters. We get Obsidian, which is um, Jay, I'm sorry, um, Alan Scott's son. Uh, and he basically is like, he can make the dark concrete and he can use the dark and fight. He started off as a bad guy and he ends up becoming, comes back because he is the son of Alan Scott and Thorn. And if you know Rose and Thorn, which was just recently in the new Legion of Superheroes, the, 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 the two shots that started the new series that, that's going on right now. Thorn is the kind of the psychotic, um, schizophrenic, multi-personality of, of uh, Rose, Rose and Thorn. And unfortunately, Obsidian inherited his mother's schizophrenia. So he was kind of crazy for a while. And then he comes around and it was done. It was done really, really well. It wasn't just one day. It's like, oh, I'm going to change my ways. It was a really, it was a big battle. And Alan, Alan Scott almost had to put his son down. Uh, and it was really, it was really heartfelt in a lot of ways. And Johnny Thunder, which we didn't really talk about at all. Johnny Thunder is one of the originals who he is, he himself has no superpowers. But he has the power to bring forth um, thunder, which is this, it turns out, a genie from the fifth dimension, same place as 
Mr. Mixapitalik, however you pronounce that, when the Superman's <laughs> Mixapitalik, um, that's the same dimension that he's from. So he's an alter, a reality, a reality altering genie. And it's really, it's really, it's really fun with, I think it's, I can't remember if it's this JSA one or, no, it's, it's one of the future ones, but um, he's in the power of a pen. So the guy just clicks his pen and he brings forth thunder <laughs> and he has to do whatever. And it's kind of cool because that's kind of like the monkey's paw curse. Thunder won't do anything unless you tell, and it has to be Johnny that tells him. And if he's not very specific, his wish, you know, what, what, what thunder does can backfire on him. So it's kind of cool. They get into some pretty cool uh, little things like that, especially in the future episodes and series when we get a new Johnny Thunder, which they explain it's because Johnny Thunder has to be, he's the seventh son born on the seventh day of the seventh month and it's like all these sevens and something uh you know all this kind of craziness that goes into it but jsa has some of the, my favorite arcs we get a lot with black adam who is a shazam villain and we see both sides um that's probably it's probably my, that my favorite arc in jsa it was called thunder prince of darkness and that goes into Black Rain. And that is when we see Black Adam, who actually joins the JSA. And then when it comes to, is it Ken, Kandak, his home, his home country, that he ends up in Black Rain, that he goes back to defend the people of Kandak. And he actually converts a couple members of JSA with him. And again, this is where I, this is when Jeff Johns kind of took over. And I don't think David Goyer did much of the writing with this arc in particular. I believe this is mostly um, Jeff Johns. And it is, it is phenomenal. One of my other favorite ones, Adam Smasher, who takes a name from the Adam, which is the classic. Um, like I was talking about, the, he's a short guy that just has, uh, he's really strong. Not super strong. I mean, he's kind of like another wildcat in a way. And, but Adam Smasher, he, uh, he can grow really tall and super, super strong. And uh, he actually, uh, I can't remember exactly how his origin came. Um, I believe he was, uh, he absorbed some kind of uh, radiation. And then that gave him this ability. Am Smasher has probably my favorite individual character's development, his arc. Especially when he comes in this Black Rain. He really believes, and, and, and that's what's so great about it. Black Adam is also, they really believe that they're doing something good. I don't want to go too much into the individual arc. But they are, they, they go in and they basically wipe out the this dictator that was take that took over Kandak and kind of enslaved the people there and that's Black Adam and he comes back and he's like this is not gonna this is not gonna happen this is not gonna take so he comes in there and he wipes them out and he takes over and they do some things that superheroes usually don't do which is kill people and, uh, and we see how you know they are really convinced and, and the way that Jeff Johns tells the story it's like Wow, they really didn't have a choice. This is, this, and it just, it really, it really gives you some, it gives a lot of depth to these characters. I mean, really, we really see some really great arcs with, uh, with some of the individual characters in here. The JSA run is phenomenal. It's in the 87 issues, and I, I wish it went on forever. It was fantastic.
Moses. <laughs>